Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, my listeners. I am your host, Pastor Alex, and we are back at it once again in another Tuesday episode, one to which we will continue our journey looking at baptism. Uh, We are going to probably hit about 10 episodes in this entire little segment. Uh, We will be graciously working uh, through and hopefully uh, administering and, and, and acknowledging the uh, Lutheran position on baptism, but we have spent a lot of time looking at scripture, looking at the early church fathers. We did an episode last week on answering your questions. And uh, again, those questions were answered from a Lutheran background. And I, and I do make, I did make the comment last week on, I wanted to take a show and dedicate it to broadening the scope of the views, because I think it helps us to understand that you know what do the lutherans believe versus what do the the reformed and presbyterian churches believe i'm when i say reformed i'm going to essentially just mean any uh any other group that adheres to some some or one of the confessions that come out of the reformation so that would include the presbyterians the baptist um the even though the baptist doesn't come until later in the 1600s Um, but Baptist and Calvinistic circles and, you know, Methodist and all these guys, if they hold to a particular confession, I'm going to kind of lump them into the reform view because generally those confessions are fairly common in how they handle the sacraments. They all kind of worked through the same argument. Um, but if you get into some of the more reformed Presbyterian churches, you'll get a little bit more, uh, or a little bit higher view of the sacrament. And so I want to pay tribute to that because, they see that it is a means of which God is conveying grace. Um, but I'm not a Reformed Presbyterian, so I'm only going to basically give a quick uh, highlight and overview to their understanding. But I think this episode should help us to unpack and just examine what other views are out there. And we'll, we'll look at some various constructs in today's church, mostly 
And uh, if you're interested in, you know, other views, obviously go to the Confessions, the Westminster, the Augsburg, which we've done extensively on this little series, uh, the 1689, the Heidenberg, and you can examine all of the uh, confessions surrounding the sacraments, Lord's table and baptism. So let us uh, take some time and invest and walk through this episode. I don't know how long it'll be uh, as these Tuesday episodes kind of fluctuate pretty drastically. Um, and, I, and I'm hoping that you can uh, be able to listen to them and, and over and over again, because I, I, I think, and I hope I pray that there have been a lot of uh, helpful understandings to uh, unpacking this text because there is a lot that goes into um, the the premise to, for instance, like the Lutheran confessions. You know, we talked pretty extensively a long while ago on the climate surrounding the Augsburg Confession and, 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 and all of the nuances that were going on in that time. It wasn't an extensive historical deep dive, but we, we highlighted some of the big pieces to it. And it shows that the Augsburg was, was, uh, it was one of two things. It was a response to a political charge and it was a response to the Roman Catholicistic church that was present in Luther's time. The Westminster and the 1689 and other confessions really didn't receive quite the opposition that the Augsburg confession does. And it still does. And so when we get into the Augsburg, the Apology, the Formula of Concord, the Small Called Articles, and even Luther's Large and Small Catechism, all of the things that make up the Book of Concord, we see that baptism and the Lord's Supper, we're just taking these two segments uh, or the sacraments out, and we're saying that these two sacraments have been expounded upon extensively in, this, in these various writings. And it's there because this is essentially what Lutherans view and understand and hold to. We you know, turn right to our confession and we say, we have all of this written on this, that, and the other. Now, you know, if you turn to like the Westminster, it's not going to have such the extensive um, background or details around baptism. It's going to be pretty cut and dry and pretty straight to the point. But Luther and Melanchthon and others who were in this, you know, kind of in this, this uh, circumstance to write this confession made sure that they went through and, and detailed every single nuance that they could think of that somebody would try to counter. Uh, and, and again, this is in their culture. This has nothing to do with modern humanistic uh, rationalities or anything like that. Um, but they, they stood at the, against the Roman Catholicistic church and uh, the Roman Catholics, and they stood against the rulers of the area who opposed um, the Lutheran view and understanding. And I want to um, I want to dig into these because I, I want to hope that we can start to unpack it. And next week I'm going to dig a little bit deeper uh, into the Lutheran view, and we're going to really hash out kind of beginnings to the ends of what Lutherans believe. And again, we've we've looked at you know uh, the Confession, and we've looked at the Articles. But I want to take the opportunity to dig into uh, this text once again and just kind of summarize all of this up. And so hopefully it'll be a pretty easy and cohesive episode. It shouldn't be too very shouldn't be too long. 
Uh, probably be one of the shorter episodes I actually record, but that'll be next week as we will conclude down our time with baptism. Then we will shift gears and take on the Lord's Supper, and we'll look at all of the little pieces surrounding that with the uh, debate between Luther and Zwingli and uh, how the Lutherans understand the table versus the Roman Catholics versus the Reformed. And we'll dig into all that again uh, with the premise of understanding the differences between sacraments and ordinances and the and the high view of the sacraments that the Lutherans carry, um, especially in, in and through the divine service. So that is what we're going to look at. Um, I'm going to not start with the Lutheran perspective just yet. Um, and actually, there's going to be some similarities with the Roman uh, Catholic in this because they have um, they basically adhere to one view. However, it's post baptism that Lutherans and, and the Roman Catholics differ on it. The Roman Catholics will then go on to say you must continue to fulfill the other six sacraments. They have seven, and in order to be to reach sainthood. But then you must also buy merit and you must also do this and you must also do that in hopes that you uh, would not uh, go to purgatory or go to purgatory for a long time. Those types of things. So I want to uh, uh, really hammer through in hopes that we can understand this text. Uh, you know, really they're the belief behind the scriptures uh, because we have to differentiate the Lutheran view from, you know, the others, because I think sometimes things get muddied and in misunderstandings occur as one views <clears throat> the, the text. And, uh, you know, and, and before we really get into it, I want to segue really quickly. I got into it with an individual. I'm not going to give him the name. Um, but he flat out posted on Facebook that baptism doesn't do anything. It doesn't save you. It doesn't do anything. It is merely our obedience to God. And that's basically how he, I mean, in a paraphrasing, I mean, he, that's how he summed it up. He basically came out and said, baptism doesn't do anything for you. Now, if you've listened to this show and you've listened to these past episodes, you would be like, well, maybe it does do something. Even if you don't adhere to the Lutheran faith, you would hopefully be thinking, well, the text obviously says that it does something. But his entire demeanor is that it doesn't do anything. It doesn't convey no grace. It doesn't, it's not God's work. It's our work. And he's very adamant about it being our work. Again, low view of the sacrament and more, more or less not even a sacrament at this stage. I would venture to say it's just an ordinance, a mere uh, extension of man's obedience to God. So he posted that and I was like, well, how do you handle First uh, Peter three twenty one. How do you handle Acts two thirty eight and thirty nine? And you know, I, I just was very, I was very kind about it. I, I was just trying to genuinely see. Um, and then he goes on to say that I have a misunderstanding of the text. This isn't really what Peter was talking about. The you know, we 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 read the text wrong, and then he ended it with I'm deceived. And I was like, that's pretty brass to say when you have a very short conversation with somebody. Now, if I was uh, in the boat to say that, um, you know, Christ didn't come bodily <laughs> into this world, that should be an extension to say I'm deceived and I'm a heretic. But to say that baptism doesn't 
or that to go on and say baptism conveys God's grace to one and it's not our work, it's God's work. And then to be called deceived, that's a pretty terrible thing for a Christian to do in my opinion. And I, and I was very shocked. So uh, after he, he threw this up, I re- responded to him and I, you know, kind of just went through what I just said of the understanding and view of, of baptism and how it is a means of God conveying grace to the, to us. And it is not our work, but God's work. I've been baptized into a death like Christ so I can be resurrected into a life like Christ. Then he blocked me. That's it. Straight up blocked me, took his page. Uh, and, and, and he's had, he's got he, a, a substantial following. He has a quite the substantial following. Um, and I think he's got two pages. He's got a personal cause I was friends with him. He has a personal and then he's got like a, a, a business page or whatever. And he took the personal one private and then he blocked me from it. So I can't see it. And then on, on Instagram, I decided to message him and be like, you know, that's pretty sad that you have to take and block me because we have a different understanding of the text. And he unloaded with me. I'm talking like militant Calvinistic cage stage just went to town. I mean, he's throwing, you know, all these different Bible translations at me, which again, actually just reiterated my position even more, but he's saying the emphasis isn't on what Peter is saying in first Peter three 21, the baptism saves you. The, it, the, the highlight is elsewhere. It's in, you know, he's just going on and on. I'm like, all right, dude, you're done. So I restricted him and, uh, you know, he, he was chiming off about, cause I made a comment in one of the responses. I said, you know, I used to be just like you. I did. I used to be just like him. You know, I used to have a, a, a terribly low view of the sacraments and I used to think that they didn't do anything. And then God revealed to me the truth through scripture. And he took that as me saying that God gives me special revelations because then he was chiming off about that. I'm like, dude, you really are just so angry. Why do you have so much hate in your heart over baptism? And, and, and I, when I come to find out by examining these conversations, is those who are so militant around baptism and the Lord's Supper, they want to exert their, their doing of something. They, they want to say that they helped God do something. You know, uh, and, and more or less, they would probably say, well, God doesn't do anything in the sacraments, but it's just a means by which I, I do. You know, um, it's my work, especially in baptism. It's my choice to be baptized. I get baptized. I make my proclamation of faith. I stand before the people of God, and then I'm baptized. With the Lord's Supper, it's merely just a remembrance, and Christ is symbolically present, or he might be in some circles spiritually present. But by and large, he can't possibly be bodily present. And so they have this very low view of the sacraments and a very, in my opinion, a very sad view of the sacraments because they, they try to put their emphasis and their work on what God has done for them. And so this individual, uh, really was just quite tragic because, you know, I thought that, you know, I thought what he was doing was, uh, was, was something important. He was definitely one to, um, to, to hammer out against the false prophets and false teachers. And he, he had, you know, a pretty good ministry, but then he comes and he has to hammer on this because again, in these militant Christian circles, baptism doesn't do anything. It's a very, again, not even a sacrament at that level. It's merely a, uh, 
a uh, ordinance or even lower than that potentially. So that being said, we've got four major views. Uh, you can Google search these. I'm just I just pulled up a quick list of them. Um, there's some podcasts that have gone through this and have talked uh, a little bit more extensively uh, in the construct of each of these. Um, we are going to basically play through them at a high level and we won't get too deep into the text because um, or into their position. But I will try as we get through the rest of this series, I will try to have, I, I got a couple people that have voiced their um, desire to be on here and uh, I need to get people to um, join and uh, talk through some of these and some of the differencing views. Now, by the time this episode airs, um, I think we're, I don't know, four weeks, five weeks. Uh, so probably eight, you know, five weeks down the road from now. So sometime in the middle or end of June when this will actually air, uh, we should have or will be scheduling a debate friendly debate between me and the Bible dingers, Nick from the Bible dingers. Uh, he and I have some differencing views on baptism. And so we're going to have a conversation about that. So that will go into uh, this segment at some sort. Uh, it might be released post um, Lord's table. I, again, if, if this doesn't air into the end of June and we can record early in June, then we'll, I'll, I'll tack it on at the end of the series. But again, time, I just don't know yet. So <clears throat> that is, uh, it is coming your way. I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, cause we're going to work through some of our differences and in hopes that we can, um, have good, strong conversation and, uh, and come to a, you know, a, a handshaking agreement of what we believe and what we don't believe because, at the end of the day, you know, if he's a Calvinist, then there's going to be differencing views of the sacrament, and that's fine. But we will uh, hash into those, and uh, we will lay out the text, and uh, we will expound upon it. And if you're more curious too, we've done some of these conversations. I'm doing a series right now in my sermons on baptism, and I'm. We've talked pretty extensively in our Bible study, so you can join us on Patreon and get a part of that, and you'll get more content than just what you get on the regular podcast. So dollar a month gets you full access. You can pay a whole year subscription up front, which is like 10 bucks and some change because they give you a discount. But please, by all means, I'd love it if you could join us because we are listener-supported. So that's that. Let's get into some of these views. Let's start with the conventional baptism. This is uh, the baptism is a sign or a seal of the new covenant. It is common uh, doctrine amongst the Reformed and Presbyterian churches. Again, we'll just say Reformed to cover that broad scope. This may not speak to everybody in particular, but we will um, kind of use it as a blanketing statement. And again, when we say Reformed and Presbyterian churches, we are generally meaning those who adhere to a a uh, or uh, a confession of the reformed period. <clears throat> so just as God set up the covenant of circumcision with Abraham to be a sign of, and a seal of God's people during the old Testament age, God has set up the covenant of baptism with the church and seal the people through uh, the church age. And so I'm going to go here to Colossians uh, chapter two verses 11 
and 12. I'm going to read this for you. It says, In him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised up through the faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. All right, so there's a couple things that we can see here in this uh, passage from Paul. Paul's equating uh, baptism to circumcision, and that's fine. But Paul also makes this this very bold statement here, and I think a lot of people in you know in the reform camps might overlook is <clears throat> that they were raised through faith in the powerful working of God. It is God who raised him from the dead, and if God raised Christ from the dead through the Holy Spirit, He is raising you in the baptism. So it is God's work, not ours. That is what Paul's giving at. So this gives way to the proliferation of infant baptism, not as a salvific act, but as the sign of being a, in a Christian home and the seal of eventual saving faith. It doesn't actually guarantee or convey anything here, but a eventual, something that will come later on. <clears throat> so you'll be baptized and initiated into the Christian faith, and then it's up to the parents to catechize the child, teach them, raise them up in the faith, and then... They can, they will have a, a day that they can say, I came to Christ and you know, on June 4, 1st, 1902 or whatever it is. Right. So that's that position. So it's a, it's not conveyed grace in the moment of baptism. Baptism is merely a sign in the initiation into the Christian life. Now we have salvation occasion baptism. This is baptism as a cultivating act of salvation and it's common doctrine in the church of Christ and Christian churches. Uh, John D. Castellin, he's a professor of contemporary Christian theolo- theology at the Lincoln Christian College. He says this, in baptism, uh, God, <clears throat> God enters into a covenantal relationship with an individual, and in turn, that individual knowingly and willingly accepts God's offer of restored fellowship. Baptism is not merely a symbol of your faith, but it is the act of faith that saves your soul. Salvation is baptism, and baptism is salvation. This is why, when asking many Christians that they have been saved, they will reply with, oh yes, I have been baptized on X day. There is no distinction between salvation, receiving Christ as Savior, and baptism, for they have been taught <clears throat> that they are one and the same. Therefore, in many churches, people are asked to come forward and to be baptized with very little emphasis on giving on repentance and receiving Christ by faith through prayer for repentance and receiving Christ in baptism. So that is one particular view. We have our third, which is believer's baptism. This is baptism is an outward symbol of personal faith in Christ. This is common doctrine in the Baptist churches. And now I I find it to be quite common in even some of the Calvinistic circles. Baptism is is neither sacrament nor uh, covenantal but purely symbolic. Baptism is done out of the ordinance of Christ, Matthew 28, which we've talked about that extensively. It's an identification with Christ, Romans 6, 4. We've talked about that. The symbolic of our repentance and faith in Christ, Matthew 3, 2 and verse 6. It is believed that baptism is merely offered to those who personally come to faith in Christ, by uh, come to Christ by faith, repented of unbelief, and received Christ as seen in the pattern of Pentecost. Again, we've talked extensively about Acts 2, 37 through 41. Therefore, someone must first be saved, then they're baptized as a symbol of that salvation. Baptism is uh, done by immersion. 
only keeping with the symbolism of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, as well as the examples given in the New Testament that seem to indicate immersion. Uh, obviously, this is one that, uh, in my opinion, it, it really... <laughs> This uh, I I have some beef with with believers baptism and 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 I you know what 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 gets me is the text they use it's the same text that uh, we we use as Lutherans but the understanding and the hermeneutics applied to it uh, show us something completely different. So we talked about Matthew twenty eight. Matthew twenty eight goes and says that Jesus has been given all authority. Go therefore and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that is not a chronological event or a chronological sequence of how we make disciples. That would mean we'd have to go into the world, make disciples. And then when they have made their proclamation, then we can baptize them and then teach them. Well, wait a minute. How do you make bat- How do you make disciples? If you can't teach them until the third act, it, it doesn't make sense. You make disciples by baptizing them, then teaching them. Then they become disciples. Then they become, you know, you, you preach the word to them. They, you know, especially if, if, if a person's never heard of Christ, this is really where Matthew 28 comes into play uh, because it's, it's going to the people who have never heard Christ before. It's not a, it, it really doesn't take much rooting, if you would, in, in the Christian church today in this aspect because it's not the means of first century believers. This is Jesus saying to his apostles, go into the world, make disciples. It's also called the great commission that it is the call of us to continue the expansion of the gospel. So we go to people who have never had the gospel preached. We preach the gospel. They believe we baptize them and then we teach them to be disciples. That is the formula. We preach the gospel just as Peter does. And again, he uses this, uh, the, the, the text here in Acts 2, 37 through 41, that the person must repent of unbelief first after they have received, and then they receive Christ and then they are baptized. Again, that is not a, 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 a chronological sequence of the formula. Paul, uh, Peter saying, repent and be baptized. Again, baptism is the act of one's repentance. So for the first century believers, they are not told by Peter to make a proclamation of faith here. They're not made, or Peter doesn't say that you have to be of a certain age. Peter doesn't say you have to be of a certain ethic background. Peter doesn't say that you must do the X, Y, and Z, and then <clears throat> you're baptized. He says, be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Repentance isn't even a work of man. It's a work of God through man in man. We have, we are repentant because God gives us the Holy spirit. Repentance is simply the turning away from the disbelief, the unbelief of God's promise. And we believe in Christ, but for those who have never heard Christ, that is done in conjunction with the gospel being preached. And then baptism happens. But it is not an act by which man comes and says, okay, I am going to repent of my own ability because you can't do it and you won't do it because you find that your sin uh, is much more enjoyable than the things of the holiness. 
So I find the use of Acts 2.37 through 41 to be frivolous because it underplays the entire scope of baptism because he doesn't go and, and highlight what Peter then uh, continues to clarify in his letter, 1 Peter 3.21, where baptism now saves you. Because, you know, we, we can't say that in this circle. We, we, we can only pick the scriptures that mirror or, or complement what, uh, what it is we believe. And, you know, it just, it really is sad when we get into these types of debates. And, and this is going to be the, I think the big highlight of the debate between me and Nick is believers baptism versus the Lutheran perspective. And what I'm finding more and more as I embrace the confessional Lutheran aspect is if we construct a system by which a person must be X amount of years old, or they must make some sort of proclamation that's satisfying to the church in order to be baptized, they must make their proclamation of faith, you know, when they're old enough, yes, blah, 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 blah. Then we've created a law around baptism. We've made baptism not a uh, sacrament where God is conveying grace to us, but we have made baptism to be an act of of our obedience. It's a, we've created a ladder system of theology by placing the law around baptism that you must do this, that, and the other in order for baptism to even be relevant. But again, as we've worked through extensively, these various passages, we see that God is actually conveying grace to us. So now we get into the Lutheran perspective and this is just very brief. We'll, we'll, we'll do a little bit deeper um, study on it next week. Uh, as we hopefully summarize everything, but this is the the Lutheran faith. Uh, it's common with the Roman Catholicism, but and and, and I'm I just I'm still kind of uh, I don't know if I'm quite comfortable with the word regeneration, but maybe it's just because it's been distorted by today. But but it is be, uh, merely meaning that baptism washes away and saves the soul. It's common doctrine again, uh, Lutherans and Roman Catholicists. So when we look at this, uh, the the difference here, and, and I'm reading this blog, and I don't agree with it because it says that Lutherans believe that the ineff- that baptism is ineffectual unless that person already has faith. Well, if we dig into the concept of faith, we th- we look to what Paul writes in Romans 10 that faith is given by hearing the word, and we also would argue to say that you know infants can. And children can demonstrate faith. They may not demonstrate fruit like the Calvinists want them to, but faith is merely believing in the word. And there's no text in the Bible that says that they can't do that. In fact, Jesus makes it pretty uh, extensive uh, statements around the children being the kingdom of heaven and that we as adults must act, you know, or become like them. We must have their type of faith. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I agree with this statement because I just certainly don't because we baptize our infants even though they don't give that quote-unquote proper display of faith. But what we believe here is the ex opera operato uh, that it confers grace. It is sufficient in of itself to save the soul. Robert Kolb, he's an ordained Lutheran minister and professor at Concordia College, very clearly outlines this Lutheran view. He says, baptism saves. First Peter 3.21, the apostle Peter was a direct 
uh, was direct and simple that baptism gives salvation. That is new life in Christ. Therefore, there is a need of these churches for infant baptism to wash away the original sin and regenerate the soul for entrance into the kingdom of heaven. So Peter's direct makes it simple. Baptism now saves. This is the view of the Lutheran circle by and large that we believe what the text tells us it says. And we will expand that view uh, a little bit more extensively next week as we kind of summarize all of the Lutheran positions. But, you know, I, I want to say this is if you've made it this far in the show, my apologies to you if you do hold to a believer's baptism. I used to, and, 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 it, and it pains me when I reflect upon my militant positioning that just as much as I look back at the conversation I had with this gentleman last night on social media, it pains me because I was once like him and I was so frivolous and, and, and angry surrounding people who believe something other than me. And it was very cage stagey Calvinistic position. And, and, And I mean, I remember people would tag me in, in stuff on social media because I would just go and unleash holy hell upon people. And I would just be vicious this is what the text says. You, how could you possibly believe anything else? And and I had a really poor hermeneutic at a very low view of the sacraments. And and I find that those who believe in baptismal regeneration um, tend to hold up the sacrament to the level that it needs to be, that it is God conveying his grace to us and not something that we do in of ourselves. And those who believe in the believer's baptism, I, in my view, I think have a lower view of the sacrament. And they, they basically have said that God doesn't convey grace, but it is merely us being obedient to God in that action. And so, you know, if, if you're offended by that, then please reach out and let's talk. Let's, you know, come on the show and you can ask questions. We can have a good discussion. I, I'm, I'm completely open to conversations because I know this is a topic that is very, very touchy amongst people, especially in the Calvinist and Reformed faith. They get very sensitive when it comes to speaking of the sacraments, whereas Lutherans, and, and, and I would venture to say some of the Reformed Presbyterians, embrace what the sacraments do because it is God giving us his grace through a means by which we can't even deal with. It's not us doing anything in baptism. It's not us doing anything in the Lord's Supper. We have the bread and the wine. We institute with the Lord or with the institution. The word of God becomes a sacrament. It is God washing over us the forgiveness of sin again. The reminder of this. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me for the forgiveness of sin. Uh, we are remembering that Christ is, we are, we are acknowledging that Christ is present and we are acknowledging that he has forgiven us of our sin. And that's the Lord's Supper uh, in a nutshell. We'll get into that more here in the next few weeks. But... Again, if you made it this far, much love to all of my Reformed and Baptist and Calvinistic friends. I I have the utmost respect for your uh, embracing of the scripture. But I will say we differ on our view and acknowledgement of these pieces. So um, that's that, ladies and gentlemen. I will be back next week with the summarization of the Lutheran faith on baptism. Then we'll move into the Lord's Supper. Until then, have a great week. God bless. We'll see you all later.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.